0: Welcome. Once again, it's time for Catalog and Cocktails presented by Uh, Data.World. I'm sure many of you are longtime listeners. We're excited here to be both in Austin as well as somebody somewhere else. You'll find out in a second. Uh, This is the honest, no BS chat about data. Uh, I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd product guy, customer guy, joined by co-host Juan Cicada. Hey, Juan.
1: Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, Principal Scientist at Data.World. And as always, uh, it is a pleasure to spend... The middle of the week, Wednesday, end of the day, towards end of the day, or really end of the day where we are, and just spend the time at chat data. And I am uh if you see the background, we're in this weird place. We're actually in a castle yeah. in the middle of yeah. nowhere, Germany. It's and crazy. I'm super excited to be with Paco Nathan, which uh Paco Nathan uh evil mad scientist. Yeah, uh, perfect. Evil Med scientist. <laughs> Nathan. Uh, and if you don't know who Paco Nathan is, uh, just look him up because you a little busy now. <laughs> and we owe
2: a lot to the stuff that Paco has been doing. Anyways,
1: Paco, how are you doing? It's great to finally have you here in the podcast.
2: It's great. Juan, well, Tim, thank you very much. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, also, just we're having a fantastic time here. It's actually, this is this is great. This is my first time here. So so let, let's kick it off. So what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? Okay. So this is, uh, is actually comes from a part of Italy. One of our colleagues is from uh, and it, you know, it's a little fruity, but it's got some legs to it. And if you, you let it open up, it will do it that. Yeah. This is, a uh, Susumanielo is the great yeah. that we're having right now.
1: Yeah. And, um, we are in a place called Dachstuhl, which is a, a, a castle, probably like three hours south, south from Frankfurt. And we're here just to kind of get ourselves immersed. So a group of like 40 people to talk about the future of knowledge graphs, uh, and. That's what we're doing here. And we uh, have a lot to talk about today, not just about Knowledge Graph, but also about just research and innovation and open source and so forth. Tim, how about you?
0: Hey, uh, I am drinking something a little less classy. Um, It is a Dale's Pale Ale. Very tasty and light pale ale, uh, very good. Um, and I'm actually hanging out in Austin, Texas. I have strong FOMO for you know the event. I know Juan, you go there quite often. Very cool event. Um, but I'm here at the Capital Factory in Austin, Texas. We're doing our sales kickoff. So it's been a it's been a great day, uh, very energizing kickoff to the year. And uh, cheers to being able to hang out with great people in person. It's a, yeah. truly a, a, a wonderful experience. Cheers. cheers to
2: that cheers to that cheers is is dale's local from austin is that a, a microbrewery there?
0: um i i forget if it's based in austin or not but i know that they have a pretty strong presence here and a lot of people like their like their beer around here oh
2: cool i i lived in austin for almost 20 years my spouse is from there
0: <clears throat> but i've lost track
2: of like the microbreweries so yeah, yeah a lot a lot of, a lot
1: so um warm-up question. Uh, we should also toast that it's your birthday.
0: Yes. Happy birthday. Thank you. Like Thank you very much. So, kind of yeah, happy
1: sure.
2: birthday. So so uh, what's What's your favorite birthday celebration? We uh, cool. Well, I want to do something special when I turned 50. This was actually a while ago, but I want to do something special. So I invited friends and family from around the world and we, we set up. I was born down on the central coast of California. So uh, right around where my parents lived at the time, there's this great state park. It's called Montana de Oro. And it's got these amazing sand dunes and tide pools and everything and some pretty good surfing too um so uh i invited friends over and we just had this party like way out in the middle of nowhere out in the sand dunes and I, I figured that was the best way i could i could
0: come up with of celebrating my 50. Right, hey how, how about you tim what, what's your favorite birthday celebration that sounds awesome You know, that's a great question. Um, Probably about six or seven years ago, um, uh, uh, there was a surprise party that my wife threw for me and I totally got caught off guard. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you you have no idea, that's that's kind of fun.
1: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) so I didn't mind this for my 30th, which uh, happened right at the end of uh, one of the the main conferences that I go to, the the Semantic Web Knowledge Graph conference every year. And this has been my community, which a lot of the folks are here right now this week, and they're my friends. And so we organized the the conference, it was kind of near New York. So we just rented a house in New York. And I think like 20 people came over Mm -hmm. after the conference and we just hung out and had so much fun in New York City. That was a great 30th birthday I'll never forget that. So anyways, well, let's kick it off. All right, honest, no BS what's the state of just bringing innovation from research and bringing it translated to the real world? And, and how does open source play the role in all of this stuff? Because I know that's a lot what's on your mind.
2: Yeah, that, that's definitely that's what's on my mind. That's what I, I, I try to do, our team is doing. Um, I have a lot of background working in open source, so some projects way back in ancient history like Hadoop, uh, But also, you know, like Spark, and, and uh, I've done a few other things on some other projects, maybe not quite as big of changes, but definitely done a lot of work with Project Jupiter and a little bit with Spacey Pipelines and with Ray. And anyway, um, I think there's a lot of room for open source machine learning in general. And right now, because we're seeing so much going on in AI, I think that definitely open source models, like you're seeing on Hugging Face leaderboards, it's it's really amazing. And I, I love that whole ecosystem. Um, one of the things though is, I mean, Jan LeCun actually writes about this that uh, one of the things that's different about computer science, especially machine learning, is that uh, years ago, Lacoon uh, convinced the people at NeurIPS to get the papers released open so they could do some data mining on it. And the publisher was like, yeah, we don't make any money off those anyway. Here, sure, you can have them. Go ahead and publish them. And so NeurIPS turned its, its papers open. And that's been a thing. Now we have, of course, Archive and others, but it's been a thing, especially in machine learning, where uh, you get a lot of preprint, right? And there's not these like paid journals that are gatekeepers that really do a lot of damage in some other fields. I'm not gonna name any names, but I mean, computer science, machine learning especially, I think really benefits by having a much, much more open process. But preprints by nature aren't peer reviewed. And so the flip side of that is you get a lot of stuff published and maybe the reproducibility rates on this are pretty low. So uh, one of the things that we do for uh, one of our customers does a lot of investment in uh, AI research at top tier schools. And they're very interested in the results that come out and open source implementations of what comes out, how this can be brought to bear on industry use cases. Uh, But there's a long road between you know, a project, a paper being published and something being deployed in a production cluster. Um, and, and there's a lot of other really super amazing work that's going on right now. And there's a lot of great open source. Um, one of the things that I, I would throw out there just for discussion, uh, I, I had a little bit of a debate with a friend in D.C. recently who works at a large defense contracting firm. And their view of the world is like research is research. Somebody writes a paper, they're done. They they have no further involvement. And I was saying that, you know, really in machine learning right now, that is just not the case. The lines are totally blurred. People will do research projects. It will go out into GitHub or Hugging Face or wherever. A lot of people will start to use it. There's not this like separation, throwing things over the wall from like research to dev to commercial production. It's just all blurred. If you want to be using really interesting stuff that you know, probably the paper is only a few months old anyway. Uh, So I think that the model that a lot of people like in certain circles in DC are operating off of, I think that we've moved past that. I think the speed of what's going on in AI right now has just blasted past that. And DC is still struggling to try to catch up. Uh, We, in industry, if we want to be using really interesting uh, natural language, machine learning, knowledge graphs, et cetera, I think that we need to depend on what's coming out of research. There's a lot of great open source, uh, and you know, I, the, the the impetus for this is that the reproducibility rates in machine learning are so low. I mean, it's I, I'm not going to harsh on people, but I mean, the rates of like code being published along with a paper that's already low, and then the rate of like being able to install that code is fairly low and having the code actually run without exceptions is low and then having the sample applications reproduce what was published in the paper that's like almost non-existent so the thing is that i I think there needs to be more attention paid to this because again these these pipelines are collapsing and i'm not going to harsh on someone who's you know getting their phd this is maybe their first time being lead author on a paper you know what they've made an accomplishment and more power to them i'm not going to harsh on them but, you know, somebody who's in a, in a well-funded, top-tier tech lab, they're publishing, they're saying, here's our code, here's what it does, and the code doesn't run, there's no excuse for that. And the same thing, somebody who's a computer science assistant professor, you know, they know the game, right? If they're publishing stuff and it's not reproducible, I I can see that there could be edge cases, but generally speaking, no excuse. So that's where I'm calling BS.
1: Whoa, that's a lot here, and I think that this is so several points to unpack. One is I... It's interesting to go see the how computer science has evolved and i think this is i agree with you that today uh research papers come machine learning ai all, every, a lot of the stuff that comes from europe and stuff the people are writing papers and generating code and that stuff that you're like if you really want to go innovate i mean do you need to start using that today because that's the yeah. latest stuff yeah. right and, be, and before there's like all these gaps right it was like you have to go all these steps and people would see it as if there's a there's a big separation I think now as I agree with you that's blurred uh and I love how you're calling out the, the BS here it's like well okay that doesn't some it's okay if so for some cases the code may not be great either but the majority of, of cases right now especially if like the big companies and the people who have a lot of experience are actually pushing the stuff out they are uh, just generating crappy code I mean just very poor experience yeah. Yeah. um so wait, why is that? Are is people just out there to go just get their names out, get the, the fame out, and
2: or they're like,
0: yeah, why is this happening? Yeah, well,
2: I mean, well, I mean, I, I think that you know probably the biggest. I mean, we we have spent a lot of time looking through a lot, especially in LLM space, but also knowledge graph phase in general and natural language and some other adjacent areas where we have a lot of interest. Um, we've spent a lot of time on our team looking through all of this that we could find that might be in category that might be useful and vetting it. And we've really, we've come up with a rubric, uh, which will be, it's in a paper that's in production right now uh, or in draft right now. Um, but we've come up with a rubric to try to score, you know, like when we encounter some code, here's a checklist we want to go through to really see, is this something we want to commit? I mean, hey, if it's on GitHub, we can do PRs too, but is it really worth it to like spend the time if it's if it's not going to produce anything? You know, is is it a dead end, basically? And I, I think you can figure that out pretty quickly. And the thing that comes across most strongly to me is that you know, so many people are chasing benchmarks. And so they go, they do their thing, they write some command line code that will like show that benchmark. They publish the paper. Here's our F1 scores in a table. Look, ours is bold in this one, this one row. And like that's their conclusion, done. Right. And you know, the, the code is on GitHub, but it only does that one thing. And yeah I get it okay that's a way that's paper mills right that's a way to get your paper published but it's not a way to do computer science <laughs> okay so
1: so this is interesting because I'll'll I'll, uh, I'll take some bait here about benchmarks because that was something that we did recently from our lab uh, <laughs> but, but, but so, so the two things are mentioned so I think one of the things that happened with benchmarks is that it, it really drives uh, we want to push the status quo and that's a mm-hmm. way of measuring of a, sure. have a way to go measure this right um and but the thing is that the these the, we get so obsessed with the benchmarks and then what happens is that the focus is not about actually solving the problem the focus ends up on being how i can bet get better numbers on that benchmark now ideally you are accomplishing both yeah but then what happens is that you over uh, foc- I mean, you focus too much and then over engineer for the benchmark so I think right. that, that that is one of the stuff that we need to call out and I think they, I think that already, that's kind of just historical always in computer science but one of the things that happens for folks in practice uh, in, in what I call quotes the real world is like you should not you, you need to be critical right don't just take the late let's like oh we're gonna go take a benchmark and, and look at the latest tool the latest that model the whatever whatever it is and like that's it and we're just gonna take the top one because that's the best one and and go with it like no you gotta you gotta you gotta that there's people are over engineering to that so what and i and i agree with you like this is the stuff that i i I find extremely annoying and just to kind of i mean not in the Salesy approach is a kind of really research thing is what we did for people have been following our work on our knowledge graph benchmark of large language models and, and knowledge graphs to do question answering over SQL enterprise SQL databases was that yes. is that you would see existing benchmarks specifically text to SQL benchmarks yeah. and you look at these numbers and there's like 98 day 97% accuracy people are like oh wow text to SQL is a solved problem. If you were looking at that benchmark because you hit 97% you're for like, those cases. Well, yeah, exactly. So you now focus so much on the benchmark and you focus your techniques to get better numbers on that benchmark. And we're like, this cannot be true. And then when you look at the benchmark, it's like, oh, this is disconnected from the real world. This is not how these schemas are. These are not what, so then, I mean, that's why we decided to create another benchmark around that and i know that what's going to happen is that people are going to go focus on those questions that we did on that scheme what we did i'm like yeah the, the, and, and honestly like we won't, we're going to continue work on the benchmark but that should not be the focus of everybody's like our goal here is now to improve this benchmark yeah prove our scores on the benchmark
2: well i mean i, I it can be done better i mean I, I think case in point okay so there's a great paper about lms in knowledge about construction um shouldn't if i'm pronouncing correctly, Shen Lunadong? Lun, Lunadong, paper, yeah, yeah, Lunadong. Lunadong paper, from, yeah. I've actually, I think I've introduced her at a conference before. Um, Lunadong's paper, you know, quotes like NER that right now it's it's mediocre because it's running F1 scores between like 0.85 and 0.95. But when you actually go out and look at what's available, you know, there's Luke is like the state-of-the-art for research, but it really requires a lot of GPUs. It's running F1 scores on average of about 0.95. But Tom, Tom Harrison, who... Full disclosure, I've worked with on a couple of open source projects. Um, He's now at Hugging Face, Uh, he's a fellow at Hugging Face. For his master's thesis, uh, he did something called span marker and it runs on CPUs and it's running consistently like average of the same benchmarks, like 0.95, right? But it's production quality software. And it's using hugging face transformers to be able to download efficiently the weights and biases. So you can like pick the model and bring it down. Whereas like everything else is just a disaster in terms of loading models. But like Tom really took the effort to make a general purpose research and production platform for NER that is, you know, comparable with research, state of the art, but runs on CPUs and runs efficiently. And I mean, I look at that paper and it's like, you know, this is a master's thesis. Why aren't the PhD papers this good? right i mean clearly it can be done it can be done in a short amount of time uh and it can be done well and so i I do think that there are counterexamples for all the criticism i have um but you know on the other hand i i do see stuff that's just train wrecks and and uh, i i think it's important to call out the people who are doing it well and give them support and integrate those projects and promote them and like you know star them on GitHub and, and Huggy Face, but also you know, reference them in your papers and your talks and whatnot, and really call it out.
0: Yeah. What What would your recommendations be to folks who are doing research, right? Whether they're at large institutions or if they're you know in academia, to uh, to 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 do better. You called out you know reproducibility. You called out you know um you know, uh, you know focusing on maybe some of the wrong problem sets like you know over or over fixating on benchmarks and things like that you know what what are some recommendations you would give to the research community on how we can sure. you know how we can do better for for everyone
2: well i i i will paraphrase from entering uh but also just looking at what's been happening on the leaderboards for open source LLMs on hugging face over the past two three months it's basically dpo right that's the message and so the idea is that the data, I'm sorry, D- DPO, D- direct preference optimization, DPO, yeah, as, as opposed
0: to direct preference optimization. Yeah.
2: I, I hope I'm uh, it's, uh, it's out of Stanford NLP. I know Chris Manning and Dan Jurafsky were some of the senior authors. I forget the lead author, uh, but it's a beautiful paper. And Andrew Ring said that this is one of the only times in his life when he finished reading a paper and immediately wanted mm-hmm. to give it a standing ovation. I mean, it was that it's that good. And seriously, go read it because this is like how to publish research. Um, But the thing is, the takeaway on DPO is we now have tools to go in and measure the data, measure the training sets, measure the benchmarks, measure the evals, and figure out where the problem, how are those problematic before you spend all the money like blowing carbon in the atmosphere with a GPU cluster. And when you look at what's been happening on Hugging Face leaderboards, the message is very clear you know you take like Ar- argilo was one of the first ones in full disclosure i've been with argilo for seven years uh one of oscar's students Denny oh that is oh uh, yeah Denis. okay but but also snorkel followed up with the same thing and hugging face has done its own using dpo and the message is this like take a model that's you know getting some real traction like zephyr and go in and look at the data that's used to train it look at look at the evals and find out where the problems are there fix them, get rid of the bad data that's working across purposes. And then DPO is a way of basically doing a synthetic using human input, but then coming out with a synthetic data set that's rebalanced. And so go in and like retrain using the better data. And so I'm attacking the benchmarks saying that we have tools to be able to go in and figure out why they're bad. Like, I'm not saying that every benchmark is bad. I'm saying actually we could improve them. We we have other tools as well. Um, if you look at like uh, David like at Purdue, I, I'm blanking again on the grad student who's lead author. Uh, if I had it in front of me, I could look it up. But um, their team came out with something that was a topological, graded, topological data analysis on compute graphs. So when you're training models, you've got a compute graph. You can go in and do analysis to figure out what's going to work, what's not going to work before you do the training and you can start to partition those data sets and figure out, again, what to throw out, what needs to be augmented, what needs to be fixed. So there's a lot of tools that are coming out, just to label uh, uh, GT, it's called graph topological Data Analysis, so uh, GTDA, um, and, and other kinds of quantitative tools. I think, um, you know, downstream, once you've got models, you can be using things like Weight Watcher, you familiar with like Charles Martin, I'm not. Yeah, so once you've trained a model, if you wanna go in and understand what is really going on in a deep learning model, uh, it's based on statistical mechanics and its analysis of deep learning models uh, to really go in and find out like, okay, there are trouble spots here and there, there's stuff we really don't know what's going on over here, etc. But what I'm saying is we have tooling, we have math to analyze the data, analyze the resulting models and do something smart rather than just saying, okay, here's a benchmark I have to beat. Why don't we go in and fix the benchmark too? That's what I'm saying. And I think DPO, what's been happening on the leaderboards over the past couple of months is showing that, you know, a team without GPUs can go back and take somebody else's training data, fix it, retrain the model and beat everybody else. And like I say, Argula, Hugging Face, Snorkel, they've all done it. So, you know, I, 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 knew, I don't want to harsh on people again all that much. I appreciate all the research that's coming out, but I think that what Andrew Ng is saying there is like, we need a data first strategy. Like, fix your data first before you burn up all the carbon. Because otherwise, if you're working from really bad training sets or really bad evals, it doesn't matter how much algorithmic work or, or how much training time you put into it, you're gonna come out with crap. Is is this a, is,
1: how well has this message been uh, received? Because I, I mean, I'm hearing it loud and cl- uh, clear. And I think that's one of the stuff that we are super excited about because we're like, we're, we're, we're Tim and I, we're data people, right? Yeah. We're like, yeah, we're, we're more data people than machine learning AI people in this case. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, for like creating models and stuff. And, and and I take it to the next level. It's like, Tim and I always argue that we should, we live in this data-first world. I want it to be like a knowledge-first right. world. Like, it's just right. not just like, not just clean data. It needs to be clean data with the meaning, with the semantics of the stuff. Yeah, okay. it is. we so, don't
2: just drink the Kool-Aid. We're evangelists <laughs> for this, right? This is, this is the world we want. So um,
1: do you feel that this we are headed in this direction, or is there still more? I do.
2: I, do. Okay. I, I I think that the the results are out there in public and you're seeing really well-funded entities that are competing and you're seeing less funded entities that are beating them. I mean, it's a market. You, I mean, you have so much capital, right? So so this has been a call out
1: to, or I mean, now the kind of want to shift this, shift the conversation a little bit from the from research and bringing it to the, to the real world. And yeah, yeah. It's like, Well, one thing is that you can start like using all these models and stuff, but then the clear message is that you also need to start investing in having your data, knowing what, cleaning your data, adding semantics to your data by focusing on on, on a data first and knowledge first approach.
2: Right, right, right. And I I think there's a long road ahead on this. I don't think it's just a matter of, oh, we're going to clean up a couple of benchmarks that are popular. I think that this knowledge first approach, like you're saying, I think it's a very, very long road because this is the way we get past. The hurdles we're facing right now. I mean, how, do we, how do we shorten this? Because people, like
1: this is an argument. It's like, oh yeah, we get it, but it's like so much investment, and, uh, and then I then and then I'll throw money, I'll get some results, and that's good. But then we, we kind of we we focus on the immediate, but we
2: know that in the long run, that's going to be that's going to affect. So yeah, it, 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 how it do really, we shorten? How do we get to that knowledge first faster? It kills me. It doesn't make headlines. I mean, Sam Altman can you know talk about I don't know, his race car, and it gets headlines, right? But like people actually come up with a better strategy that's more cost effective and has, you know, better return on investment. And I, there's no headline. Right. That just kills me. Um, yeah, I'm,
1: I'm <laughs> because I'm, I'm like, I agree.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Where do we go from here? Well, I mean, I think the thing is that we have something that works. Drive it, make it work, prove it in the marketplace. I think this is a competitive advantage and it's it's time for startups or, you know, industry that's taking advantage of this comp- of this kind of technology, take it and run with it and beat out the competition. It's it's time to get aggressive. Maybe that's the best way to, you know, if they're not going to take the message, beat them in the marketplace and they'll probably listen eventually. Somebody will. There you
0: go. That's good advice. It, it, Paco, what, what do you see as um, the trends that are really uh impacting industry today like you know especially things that are coming from the research community but you know curious in general like what do, you, what do you see as the trends that are most impactful right now around around this space yeah
2: you know this is actually uh from a conversation uh Oscar and Paul started at lunch today with us uh because they were talking about their curriculums you know because they're they're cranking out master students in AI things like that and they're like what do we really need what do you, what do you hire for that we're not providing And there's a a few of us, and and we all said the same thing at the same time. We're like, MLOps. And they're like, no, really, what do you need? It's like, no, you need MLOps. You need people. I mean, the thing is, in corporate, you know, HR usually sets what the hiring levels are. And anybody who's like ops, there's like a cap on their salary. And it's ridiculous because Meta is going to offer them probably, you know, 50% or 100% or 200% more than where that cap is. And so corporates, the thing is, you could have the best data in the world, the best ML engineers, the best, you know, the best knowledge graph representation for your business. And you could have killer apps. But if you don't have ops people to run it 24-7, you're dead in the water before you start. And the thing is, what I see is in, in corporates right now, in industry which have revenue bearing use cases, you know, typically IT will take a look at what we're doing in knowledge graphs, what, what whatever you know AI teams are doing and say hey look this stuff is out of our scope we're not responsible you want to run it go run it hire your own ops people and so I, I see a lot of projects getting starved because they can't hire you know triple shift ops staff to run the critical parts that they need and it's not complete I mean it's animal ops is not easy it's a hard job and it needs skills but it's not I mean it is recognized Right. But it's not extreme rocket science. Um, you can do this. You know, the thing is, like, it's really actually fun. But, you know, the idea of understanding what's going on in machine learning, what are the security consequences? What are the, the compliance and legal consequences? Because you have to, as ops people, you're there running it. You need interface with the governance committees. You need interface as well with data science teams and apps people. So you really need to understand a lot of these perspectives in addition to, like, observability and, you know, deployment and all the other stuff you would have. Um, I, I think right now I'm really super interested in the communities of practice around MLOps because, one I mean, I've been involved in conferences a lot, uh, industry conferences, obviously, through O'Reilly and others. And what I see right now is the, the MLOps communities of practice are a really interesting nexus for bringing in a lot of different people. I mean, it's not just ops people there. It's like ML engineers. It's like researchers. There's product managers. You know, there's just a whole range of different people who are there because they're like, oh, okay, this is important. This is interesting. I need to be there. Hey, maybe I'll hire some people. And I, I love going to those kind of events. Um, and so, I mean, there's a few of them that I think are really good, uh, especially that I could recommend and call out. Um, but I've been trying to get involved in this kind of community because I see it as certainly a pain point for our biggest customers. But it's what we talked about at lunch today. It's like the thing that's missing from these like AI master's programs. It's like, great, great. You're you're doing really well on the machine learning side of it. Do you know how to use GitHub? Even like, have you ever built a <laughs> Docker container? Do you know what the word observability, have you ever worked with Datadog? I mean, like we can go down the list of like maybe just some basic skills so that when you get the job they can train you for the rest of it Hmm.
0: do you feel like um the area of ml ops that a lot of the best practices have been surfaced and it's a matter of just making sure that we're properly educating people disseminating that or or do you feel like there's a lot we're still figuring out as an industry it's pretty
2: grassroots to me it feels like data science circa 2013 2014. You know, because we were just getting together and like circulating best practices, like nobody had really even written the books yet. Um, but there were some good talks that people could use as kind of like guideposts. but other than that, people go to meetups and like trade ideas. Um, and I think we're really at that stage right now, but it, it, the other side is that there are some natural guardrails to this because when you get into a corporation, you know how they handle their single sign-on, how they handle their roles-based access control. You know, these kind of concerns, it's pretty well documented, right? I mean, they have a, an opinionative way of doing it. Um, so there's a lot of things that you will learn on the job that probably won't be done anywhere else, but believe me, there are people there who know how to do it. So be ready to learn and understand these processes and where this stuff just doesn't fit and how you have to be the glue. Um, how do you deploy to the internal app store? right because that's where the users are uh i could go on and on i think that where we're at i this is actually something the the uh the breakout group that oscar is leading this is actually some stuff we've been talking about you know is like how can we bring this kind of practice into software engineering for knowledge graphs and really start to articulate what are some best practices mm-hmm. so i'm i mean, yeah yeah okay this is what we've been talking about i referencing well
1: it. No, no, well just, just to give folks more context i mean uh Paco and I are at this seminar here uh, on, on where knowledge graphs are going in the future. And we've had all these uh, breakout groups and we, we, a report will be written. We'll be published soon about what we're doing. But uh, so one of the group, one, it's fascinating. I, I don't know all the details of what you've been doing in your group because I've been on another group right <laughs> your, now. Your group is amazing. We need to talk about your group too. <laughs> well, um, but this is fascinating because I, one thing that, that comes to mind right now is a lot of the organizations that we work with, Right, they all are hungry to go do AI, and it. But not everybody is mature and ready for it. And from one perspective, like not even their data is ready for that. That's 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 one. one That's one thing. Second, uh, you see a lot of people talking to like now they see GP chat GPT and they think it's magic so they're like oh I, I, I want chat GPT to talk to my data now right I'm expecting that type of stuff I need more. so 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 that's one <laughs> that's, that's cool. one thing but then also the other the other aspect is like you don't even you don't even have these infrastructures are, are ready for this so uh, how much are we actually Setting ourselves up for success or failure because we're not. There's all these foundational infrastructures, yeah. roles. I mean, data, like, but then the board is talking about we need AI, right? Yeah.
2: So yeah, how
1: how do we call BS on where we are today? What on, on on the expectations of where yeah. we are and yeah. need to be, and and just re- lay out the reality.
2: Well, I mean, Ben, Lorick, and I do a lot of work together. Uh, you, you've been talking to Ben recently, too. Um, this is something we, we tried to take head on in about like circa 2018. We did a series of mini-books and industry surveys and analysis. And what we found out is like MIT Sloan and HBR and like McKinsey Global and others were doing similar projects. So we just sort of like summarized and coalesced it. And what it comes out to is you can think of like a survival analysis because, OK, here's here's our funnel. And at the top, the problem is there are executives who like they don't want to hear about AI. Well, they do. They want to hear about ChatGPT. But as far as like the application you need to deploy to like calculate your supply and network contingency, they don't want to hear about that. They just want ChatGPT. Right. So up at the top, you've got executives who are probably pretty senior and they probably grew up on things like Six Sigma. And people are saying that, hey, in production, we're using, you know, probabilistic kinds of methods for machine learning. They're like, no, 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 I don't want to hear that. I just want ChatGPT. And, and seriously, last year from like February 2023 to like August 2023, around the world, a lot of top executives were playing with ChatGPT. It wasn't until Q4 started to loom that like a lot of projects got turned back on because executives needed to file progress reports. So they really were like playing with chat GPT for six months or seven months, right? Mm -hmm. And drooling over the fact of like, maybe I could have a super intelligence and like fire a third of my staff. Um, And no, no, that's not going to happen. So when you go back to like what we were looking at five, six years ago, and all the analysis coming from a a lot of high powered sources. The story was this at the top, there are executives who just don't want to hear it. They're disconnected. And then down below that, the next tranche of like where you run into a survival hazard is that it, it's really hard for these companies to hire enough people who are basically product managers. They get the business. They understand the business. They can carry the ball through to make a business unit successful, but they also understand where the technology is, how that can be deployed, how they can really work with their engineers, with their data people, et cetera, to build the thing that needs to be done. And so hiring those kind of people, that product layer is just difficult there's just not enough of those people out there and i'm hopeful that they will be there i think that a lot of people are recognizing and growing into those kind of roles but it's just really difficult. i want
1: to throw the ball here to tim because tim is as you say is always a customer guy but he's really a product guy
2: at heart yeah, awesome <laughs>
0: yeah no i mean that that resonates a lot cool. cheers uh cool. you know we we see we, we see that you know everywhere right we see it in data we see it in governance yeah. I mean, obviously it connects to AI and ML as well, right? This, you know, somebody who both understands the business side of it and how to get things done as well as the technology, right? They can't be unversed in the technology or else they won't be able to navigate it. And then on top of that, um, uh, they uh, they need to be somebody who... Um, uh, can, can really work directly with the team. And so it, it, it doesn't seem to be enough of these, these, these people and they're, they're hard, they're, they're kind of, you know, uh, uh, more of that, that unicorn type person. There's not enough of them. But,
2: but hey, I mean, if you're really, you get the tech, but maybe you're working in, I don't know, content marketing or some area that's in tech, but you want to get a promotion, go out and work on that, like go back to school, get the product management jobs, work in some roles and, and, you know, take it on, take it on head first. Cause it's a really great opportunity.
1: That's it. That's that's great advice right there. I think, uh, yeah, we need more product managers.
2: Yeah, um, get it, get it. So, so
1: I think another another aspect, of kind of connecting to the previous yeah, conversation, is on on the ops side, right? So we also need folks who can
2: do the do yeah. ML ops. Yeah, that that clearly, uh, and this is probably part of the distortion of the big tech companies hiring like crazy. Although, of course, that's backed off. But then also just corporates, you know, HR is like fifteen years out of date so uh usually it's a matter of like hr just doesn't really understand that this whole landscape has changed and here is a really competitive role that we absolutely need to staff yesterday and no we're not going to pay them eighty thousand dollars a year um (laughs) you know i mean that's that's the message that needs to come across and it needs executive air cover before that's going to change
1: so is it really something specific to ml ops or is it more kind of a more a, a, a broader ops in general maybe now maybe, maybe i'm just yeah. by saying this yeah. i'm like yeah. maybe you're spreading yeah. yourself too thin so that yeah. that's how you do specialize no. but because I you talk i mean yeah. you have like we talk a lot about data ops right and and yeah. and, and, and ML ops ml and at the end if it's really a data first to knowledge first approach that data is going to feed into not just those models it's going to feed into also the, the the dashboards the reporting whatever application yeah. so it's like there should really be a whole strategy uh, coming together, and I think Tim you and I have talked all about yeah. with with our colleagues and executives we work with is like, what is your data strategy? What is your AI strategy? These stuff should all go together yeah. and obviously they connect. To, the, it's, it to, should just be one strategy altogether, right. Yeah. So, so but what do you think? Is it really focused on being ML ops, or is it more of a broader I'm, ops? Or
2: I'm I'm almost thinking of MLOps as just like it's a label, it's a principal component. I can I can use that as a placeholder and access. A lot of people in their focus right now but i mean two years from now it might be a completely different label but we know what it is right we and what it's really called and really what the best practices are is not defined yet that's where we're we're in progress so um yeah i agree it's going to be much more of a a, like a data first knowledge first thing and the operational side of it is actually understanding what your business is i mean that's we were talking earlier that that was kind of like the role of the data scientist to be ethnographer for the business and understand what are the mechanisms and let's measure it. But no, it's actually operations is where you're you're doing the thing for the customer. Now, the, the,
1: the, this is a So because we, we're taking notes here, we have oh, all, our, we,
2: have all well, we have all our, 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 I, our takeaways. But I, I should say the other hazard that shows up that's really big is data availability and data quality. Right. Because. I think we heard we both heard a talk. I'm not going to pick on anybody. But we heard a talk earlier today about how corporates have spent you know the past ten years getting all of their data understood, and it's all carefully aligned in data lakes now, and you can just go get all of it. <laughs> it's like no, you can't. <laughs> no, I mean there's mergers and acquisitions, and every time that happens, it completely gets jumbled. So I, that is the other problem is even in companies that invest in really big data lakes, and I can pick on a few, but I'm not. I'm not going to. They probably own three or four of the major competitors in that space and they still can't get a hold of the data they need
0: to do the work that we need to do with them it's a huge challenge i mean there's so many different um uh you know data sources and data technologies and the and the rate of change is too quick and any 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 company of uh, of significant size is really struggling to keep up i mean that kind of begs a larger question here of you know i you know some of the companies that we talk to are, are trying to figure out the approach to really take advantage of ML and AI. And they're trying to decide between a you know, should I create a special island of data that we preserve and make special that can we can really do this on? Or do we really focus a lot on, oh, uh, let's just hurry up and modernize and get that data lake, you know, in better in better shape? You know, I think folks are really struggling with the trade-offs around around how to. Prepare. I mean, if you don't understand your data cloud catalog,
2: if you don't understand your metadata, if you don't understand where your data is being produced, and I mean, data is not a static thing. I mean, you have a business; it's ongoing. There's data exhaust all the time, probably. And if you don't understand your catalog and what's going on what you can leverage because the thing is when you really get in and start doing the machine learning you find out hey there's some other signals over there we really need them and this could take us from you know 80 percent to 95 percent and we need so we need to bring in that data how can we get it they're not letting us or nobody understands it or like the person who did this retired and they didn't bother to document or something like that i mean i've heard these um i think the case study out of lyft that uh friend of mine uh, who ended up like leaving Lyft and starting Stemma.org. You know, the case study that they found there was when they started doing an internal data catalog of what their data scientists were using, what they found immediately was like their data science teams, like 250 people at Lyft, which is you look at the loaded salary per year, that's a hefty investment. And they were spending about roughly 25% of their time rediscovering the catalog over and over on every project. And when they put a catalog in front of them, they're like,
1: windfall so so, i mean these are the the stories that we i mean we work with all the time too and i'm just curious to get your advice for folks listening is i mean in this cover we started this conversation on like hardcore what is the latest stuff going on in research (laughs) and (laughs) translated right and then right and then going off like on 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 hugging phase and all. we've got into like we started this really hardcore research and then we're like wait but then also we need to have ops right we start talking <laughs> about the ops stuff and then we're like data going governance. back and then we then and then we're like going back and like I can't find my data yeah, and like, yeah I don't yeah, and yeah. like we need a catalog and it's like and it's like so you're telling us we gotta go we gotta go back to basics I mean we gotta have like the faces foundations in place so what would what is your recommendation you speak to so many people you work with so many people like what is your recommendation right now Is like th- like what it, this is a strategy, like you need to be able to get from here to from yeah, A to yeah, B. Like yeah, what, 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 what
2: do you, what do you tell people? Well, I mean, I think you can start out, maybe you can bootstrap. Uh, you don't have to like boil the ocean the first day, right? Um, you can bootstrap by just starting to understand for the, the apps that are critical for you. What is the data that's going into it? Like where are you getting it? And then number two, like, so basically who's using it and why? And then number two, who's producing that? Do you know that product manager? Have you? Do they even know that you exist? Like, can you go out and have coffee with that product manager and say, "Hey, your stuff is cool. We want to help you. Is there anything we can do to make sure that this keeps moving smoothly?" And by the way, we know three other people in the same boat. Um, You know, just start taking kind of a a, even just a real simplistic uh, consumer-producer view of that, and start building our catalog from there because those are going to be kind of priority-based, right? uh and i guarantee for most enterprise once you do that you're going to have a lot of surprises and you'll probably need to call your SVPN to like resolve some things just my take who should be doing that work you said yeah well that's it i mean i i think that again business unit managers should be shielding it but at some point you need to get exec cover because you're crossing across divisions probably if it's anything useful i mean i hope there's some data from customer support but I hope there's also some data from production and probably some data from sales. You're crossing a lot of lines and you really want exec air cover, right? Because if you don't, people are gonna shoot you down. So you need to get the attention of somebody who really matters, who can come in and say, no, 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 this is what we're doing. And if you don't, if you can't get that, Seriously, shake your network, find a better place to be.
1: (laughs) That's that's the honest nobius there. (laughs) Um, Tim, do you want to, time is flying by and we got to keep going. Any, any, your final comments, thoughts?
0: Yeah, you know, I'll ask just one, one last question before we move to our, our lightning round, which is that you know, we we talked about a couple of different trends today, including and especially uh, around ML ops and the importance around that. Any other trends that you would point out as like, hey, like listeners, folks, you got you, you got to pay attention uh, to this. This is some of the stuff that's changing a lot over the last couple of months here.
2: Yeah, that's that's a great one. Um Okay, so I I, I do think I mean we talked also about data first strategy or knowledge first strategy that kind of mm-hmm. thing. This is also really crucial, and it, it's a real it's a counterfactual to a lot of what's in the headlines. So that's why I think it's so important. But also, I, I do think that there are really interesting communities of practice and you need to get involved with them. And even if your head's down in a corporation, you still need to like understand and have some kind of input, right? Because you're not going to wait until you like read this in a Gardner report because by then it's going to be way too late So um, if it even shows up in a Gardner report. Um, so I, I think, you know, go out and get involved with communities of practice. And I, I think there's a lot of benefit. That's a two-way street. Uh, and it's a great way to also understand, like, who in your organization, you know, might really resonate with this kind of role and want to move into it, right? And and promote within as well. Um, so I, I think those are maybe three or four things that people could take away as, as kind of like overarching narratives here.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, um, let's head to our lightning round. Okay, cool. That. All right. So first one, so you mentioned Andrew a comment about data first. We talked a little about knowledge first and you mentioned it's been a long road.
2: Will this become a mainstream in let's say five years? Um, I, you know, I think it's shorter. Um, oh, I mean, I, I take a look at the timelines of like when the ideas of data science and data products was what it was being called back then. I can remember like DJ Patil did a talk about data products and took a like fire. But I mean, that sort of catalyzed, I mean, obviously, these things, data analytics was going on a lot longer before, but it really catalyzed um, circa 2009. And I don't think that it was really mainstream until maybe five years later. There's this thing that we have called J-curves when we look at technology adoption. Have you ever? J-curves? Yeah, there's usually about a 15, it's maybe 12 to 15 year between them when there's like, there's a couple of people who are doing a weird thing and it works for them to like, they talk to some other people and there's a period of time before, like the ginormous corporation that never does anything early is like putting it in a white paper for all their customers. There's about a 15 year span usually on average. And so, uh, gosh, where am I going with this? Um, You know, how do we think it's going to hit within five years? I think it'll be sooner because when we do look at how data science was adopted, you know, you get past the early adopters probably within clearly within like four to five years but i think that for the people in the know and seeing return on investment by people who are doing it right mm-hmm. that'll come much earlier that's usually like two to three years out. and i i think when people are you know looking at the proposition of like doing more smaller specialized models doing a lot of rag and fine tuning whatever they're burning a lot of money right these gpu instances in the cloud are not cheap no. And, and I mean, you're a manager, you have a budget, you could hire people or you could burn up GPUs. And if you find out that your competitors are doing something a lot better, as far as that cloud budget, and they're hiring better people as a consequence and new, making more efficient budgets, I don't think that takes five years to propagate. That is a fantastic uh, insight right there. Because
1: you could say, if you don't invest in data and knowledge upfront, Right. You're going to be spending more compute on doing stuff that's not going to work as well. Right. And then your competitors who will be doing that. They will be getting there faster, spending less funny compute. They'll be able to go hire more people. They're going to go beat you. So. Yeah. So the, the call here is go invest in high quality data and semantics and the knowledge. Yeah.
0: Before somebody else beats you over the head with it. This, this stuff isn't cheap and make the investments and you're going to save a lot of money yeah, in the it wrong, it long it run. Me,
1: like so excited. Like I can make this investment now. I can spend this money yeah. right now. And GPUs, is like, no, how about you spend that money? Like prepping and putting in your foundations, which you may not, may not feel like you have an immediate return, but it's like th- th- that thing is just going to compile more over and over, and over again. And I mean,
2: yeah. you you know, and at how much you're spending on GPUs and then take how much of a fraction of that would be to hire a product manager at large, who's reporting to an exec. Actually, try to ferret out where are these problems, oh, and let's at least get a plan. So a this is Like it. we could,
1: we could like this conversation is making me realize that we should have like a. a, a I love to. Wish we should stood write something. I think probably actually okay, going to yeah, come we'll, up. It's okay, probably to we'll, we'll, come we'll, out of the, the summer here, here. Yeah, yeah. about like our, the argument uh, that you should be investing in
2: product managers that's focusing people. on semantics yeah. and knowledge. You should, and should be investing data. in data and people. Well, people and data.
0: Right. Yeah, there's a bigger uh, picture here in terms of uh, in terms of return on investment. Yes. Right. Tim, um, all right. Second question. So you mentioned uh, machine learning talent and best practices and communities of practice. Huh. Um, can ML uh, ML ops be solved with technology? Like, how much of it can be a technology problem?
2: No, no, no. It's it's a person problem. I think um, part of it is just that it's it's an evolving landscape, rapidly evolving. You need to have people who are committed, who number one like their job and want to do better in it. And number two, they understand the business. And number three, it's everything's rapidly evolving underneath them. So they need to be keeping up on their skills. So, I mean, to come in and say that, like, you're going to buy a magical vendor that, like, solves all these problems. No, no, no. This is a people problem. All right. I was, uh,
1: I'm happily surprised with that answer. Because, I mean, you, you, I feel a lot when it comes to, like, the ops, it's always, like, tools and more tools. <laughs> yeah,
0: more I, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of interesting it's tools there, and, you know. Yeah, yeah I know, right. I know one of our customers is using like data coup, for example, to wear a lot of stuff, but there's people, there's people in process and stuff and, yeah. and things change rapidly, right? And
1: oh, man, they've got yeah, emails yeah. I get every day right now on just some vendors saying like, oh, anyways, I don't want to throw anything. End to end data
0: ops pipeline, oh. right?
1: That <laughs> will increase this. Or, okay, anyways. Well, I don't, we're
2: vendors, we understand this whole. Yeah. Okay,
1: anyways, uh, next question. Is the catalog part of the AI stack?
2: Oh God, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's foundational. Is absolutely foundational, right? Because if you do not understand, if you can't get a comprehensive picture of what's going on in your data in your business, I where do you go? And what are you doing? Perfect. I, 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 is, I, I wish my I, ears obviously. I, I wish <laughs> I could underscore. I, mean, I want to jump up and down and say that, but I wish I could underscore that more. Um, but I mean, it's just it's a simple message. I mean, if if you do not have data availability and understanding of things like data quality and like Also, who to talk to, who are you really partnering with inside your company and understand that people aspect of it. If you don't understand that, but yet you're basing your business on the results of that data, I mean, we we know how this story ends and it's not pretty. Mm -hmm. Tim, take us away with the final lightning round.
0: Right. Final question. Uh, We discussed the need for product managers. Mm -hmm. Um, What would be, uh, in your opinion, better? Uh, taking a product person and trying to immerse them in the sort of machine learning and AI uh, and operations side of things, or somebody who's immersed in machine learning and AI and uh, help them become a product person?
2: You know, I think, I mean, having been a manager and a manager of managers, uh, my my question would be a little bit different. I, I'd like to find out who the people are who are curious and somewhat hungry, and I think you could go either route, but, you know, unless the person's really got it inside themselves to go after this, it's not going to happen. So I think there's a lot of great ways for somebody who's not an expert in machine learning to start picking it up and, and really understand, like, what does this technology do? Um, it's not complete and utter magic. Right. And I, I think it's not a long learning curve to really get a feel for like, how can we, have, you know, what are some case studies? How can we ap- apply this in business? So I think that can be acquired if you are a product manager and you know that role and you want to learn more about what's going on in contemporary and machine learning definitely that can go but
0: the other way around that's that's great advice Yeah, that's great advice because I I do think that some folks who either are product people or maybe more business folks, right, they look at what's going on around AI and ML and they're like, oh my gosh, this is magic. This is black box. I don't understand, right? But they do understand some around data and, you know, they probably actually do have the curiosity and the hunger, as you mentioned. So, you know, if you're listening and you're feeling intimidated, you know, don't be. Dive in.
2: Yeah, no, Uh, I... One of my favorite examples i had a friend who'd you know come out of being a like a lieutenant in the army and you know he knew how to manage people in real critical situations but he really liked tech and he's like i'm gonna dive into this and i mean i I, those are the kind of people skills that's the kind of motivation you need and the rest of you can pick up Mm -hmm. all right takeaway time
1: tim take us away with takeaways
0: all right. Well, we we kicked this all off around the honest, no BS around taking open source innovation and trying to translate it into the real world. And what are the problems around that, right? Um, and uh, you you kind of started off by saying, well, the the there's you know there's a lot really going on around uh, AI in general, of course, but especially in the open source community and the research community. There's a lot that's going on there, uh, and it's very exciting. Um, and one thing that's been uh, really good to see is how much of maybe some of the, the previous um, uh, you know, hesitancy around really bringing research and putting it out there, uh, a lot of that hesitancy has gone away, which is really, really important. Uh, and there's also a really tight loop now driven by all the innovation that's happening, the fast changes that are going on, also the partnerships between the research community and industry. There's actually a really fast and close iterative loop going on right now between uh, research and the use of that research, which is great. Um, And hopefully that really continues. And AI has really been pushing that. The speed of AI is moving so fast. Uh, if you want to innovate in ai machine learning knowledge graph you need to look at what's happening in that research side of things because there's a lot happening there a lot change and a lot of it can translate into the real world Uh, but You 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 put up an important and big caution here, which is that uh, uh, there's a few things that are not going right uh, with this. One of them is, for example, the reproducibility, which is 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 not not there enough, and and more work needs to go there, um, which might be okay for an academic student, but not okay for a well-funded institution. Um, And uh, and you mentioned also uh, bad behavior like chasing benchmarks, right? Uh, and, And and we really need to look at not just the benchmark itself, but how could you know, or not just doing better in the benchmark, but can you improve the benchmark. Look at the underlying data, right? Look at the underlying tooling, right? And you, you mentioned, uh, for example, uh, DPO, direct preference optimization, yeah. and some of the different tools that are coming out of Hugging Face to measure the data, training sets, benchmarks, evals. Model um, cards, Model cards for yeah. Cars, like that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the thing that I wrote down in my notes in bold was um, we need to have a more holistic approach and thought process around the full data to AI chain and so not just kind of thinking about one piece of it or just the just the performance piece or just the training piece you got to look end to end and think about hey you know it's you know maybe it's not even a chain it's more like a it's it's more like a pyramid and if you and you got to look at the foundational aspects not just what's on top yeah so I thought that there was uh, some really good uh, takeaways there um, Juan what about you what were your big takeaways
1: so I'm, I'm really happy we, we connected on the whole data first knowledge first and said it, it's gonna be a long road and like one of the things that frustrates these these when it's successful you have a successful data first knowledge first approach that doesn't get the headlines right, right. but at the end of the day like you know what we just need to go focus and just win like show how we are beating the competition right. being successful because we invested in data and knowledge first i think that we'll just go drive that and i'll just be we got to be doers here uh what are the latest trends today well we we are the one that you're highlighting a lot is that we need these mlops right we yeah. need we need to have you can, you can have the best ML engineers. You can have the best knowledge graph, the best apps. But you need to be able to have these ops tooling to the talents. Otherwise, you will fail. You have to deal with all these security, legal, and governance consequences
2: and pushing okay. things to production. And and I should, I should footnote that. I don't mean drop everything and only devote yourself to ML ops. It's like if you're in software engineering, cool. That's extremely important. Pick up some ML ops as well, and you will become – I mean, by definition, you start to become that unicorn that and and, and it's really interesting is that there's
1: all these communities of practice around mlops and stuff right so much to be done there but it's still grassroots right kind of similar to what data science was in early 2010 so i think there's still we're 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 kind of changing a lot and and growing together as a community here um that data first strategy and the knowledge first strategy i love how we were just talking briefly is like uh you you can go invest so much and spend your ton on 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 gpus and all that money and compute but you can also be spending i on making sure you're doing your data very well and then you can actually have more people that you can go hire on that and then connecting all this to the enterprise is like how do we set ourselves up for success one be careful about like if executives are just hearing they just want chat gpt and so forth they have be careful what they're they're too disconnected from the reality it is hard to hire people who are product managers right. that's one of the things right, right, right. and we do to understand the business and the technology with the team uh again we talked about mlops and one of those things is that uh it's hard to go higher than because a competitive role the hr is also out of date about this stuff and also know it may be a it's a placeholder right this can this this name can change and so forth right at the end uh we talk Data availability and catalog is still an issue. If you don't understand your catalog, your metadata, well, that is a problem. And we wrapped up with this, your strategy recommendation, one of my favorite quotes always is don't boil the ocean and just go find those critical apps in your organization. Go find how the data gets there, what goes in it, uh, what depends on that. Go find the product managers behind that. Go have coffee with them saying, hey, we want to go support you guys and how you do this and then build a catalog from there. But it's really important. Uh, You need exec air cover because you're crossing boundaries and if uh, you don't get it then uh, start shaking your network and go find the next place because you want to be in a place that's going to succeed right How whatever we
2: do awesome cheers
1: this is all you this is all you uh cheers. wrap it up uh three questions okay. what's your advice who should we, uh,
2: who should we invite next and what resources do you follow my advice what's my advice wow. about
1: data about
2: life everything, about whatever everything. you want okay well it's my birthday <clears throat> wow I need water <laughs> yeah, no, my birthday. By, by, by the I, way, that, that
1: was a big clock right now, if you heard my background, so you survived your birthday. It? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no,
2: it's no longer my birthday. No. Okay. So full disclosure, I'm in my sixties. I write code every day. I love it. I have gone in my career all the way up to being CTO and board member for two different publicly traded tech firms. Um, and I really hated it because of the lawsuits and crap that goes on. But I mean, that's, that's like penny stocks. That's the problem. But I've gone through different roles been in different exec staff. I've been in high-flying startups. Um, I've been in low-flying startups as well, right? I've seen a lot of disasters, but I've been through a lot of roles and I've really enjoyed like, you know, doing sales engineering. I really enjoyed like going in and closing a deal. Um, But at the end of the day, in my 60s, I love writing code. So I would just say, damn it, you know, figure out what you like, get a lot of background because it's going to come in handy. Keep going at it, right? I mean, nobody's... A lot of people say that you should spend like five, 10 years being a programmer and then become a manager and work your way up. And it's so much bullshit. If you're good at what you're doing, do it and like figure out what's even better next.
1: That is, I love this advice. The, this advice. Is, you, you get your honest be a spirit right there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs>
2: Trying to be true to this yeah. form. <laughs> like, All right, who should we invite next? Um, you know, okay, so we were talking about communities of practice. There's a few people there. Um, one of them I would highly recommend. There's a there's a guy named uh, Demetrios Brinkman and he is running a thing called MLOps.community. Community, um, and it's worldwide. There's chapters, meetups in real life all around. Uh, he's I think actually based close to here. I think in Frankfurt, uh, but I mean there's people. It's global, right? It's all virtual, and there's a conference coming up. Uh, uh, Feb 15, I helped with a lot of speakers. It'll be Feb 15 and Feb 22. Uh, it's free, but I would say like you know he's got a real finger on the pulse from a broad spectrum of this right Grill him get get his no bs take
1: awesome that's great great idea cool uh finally what resources do you follow wow Uh, from people from blogs from yeah from magazines
2: i i okay so one thing that i follow like religiously is team camry it's a, a security vulnerability analysis comes across usually about 10 12 items per day but like summaries of top vulnerabilities or top attacks, just the security space. I used to work in security mm-hmm. and I really want to keep a hand in it because it's so important and so much is going on. And it's also our customers care about that, right? So I really watch the security space because it's so strange and it evolves so quickly. Um, another one I listen to is actually geopolitics is war on the rocks. It's, it's $150 a year for a subscription, but I love it. Some of it's out of austin at the uh at the business school i think um but other parts are out of dc but it's like a bipartisan like you know non-denominational let's look at what's happening in the world but from a, a military perspective i used to be in the military i've done a lot of work for duty um so you know those are things that are important for me to get perspective on understanding what's going on um i'm also on hugging face all the time and i love like the new papers and i I go through and do a lot of cataloging on my own to put together collections of like here's papers of things that are emerging because there are really great ai tools on hanging face like here's my collection what am i missing right Mm -hmm. go out and find the lookalikes and like recommend to me a reading list and uh i use that for a lot of bootstrap but i also just look at what their top summaries are and like you know, what's in the leaderboards and what's interesting um so those are probably my my three biggest things other than like um i don't really read u.s uh media as much i, I actually uh read the guardian the uk version and it just kind of gives me a little bit better worldview of things so uh, that's me all right Well,
1: uh, just quick reminder: next week, we have Eva and Harya. We're going to be talking a lot about kind of the state of uh, VCs and startups investing in this up and down time. Uh, But with that, Paco, thank you so much. This is fantastic. As always, thanks Data World who lets us do this every Wednesday.
2: (laughs) And uh, with that, cheers. 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 Thank you so much.